think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like, in Argentina for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matter look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr, my co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 345 of Low Limit Football on this 8th of January, 2022. I'm your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, matches go on as COVID rages across European football. Will games get canceled as the new year kicks off? We'll see. The transfer window heats up with Kieran Trippier making the move to Newcastle from Atletico. Who will follow him in this window? Leagues return from their winter break to see a depleted Bayern Munich lose to Borussia Mönchengladbach. Lionel Messi has tested positive for COVID-19 after being on holiday. And Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang tests positive on his way to African Cup of Nations. We're going to discuss that in the tournament in depth with our very special guest, Mr. Tosin McKinday from Shirtless Plantain Podcast and CBS Sports. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. Happy New Year, my friend. Happy New Year, Joe. I'm glad to be back. It's glad to be back doing another show for another year. And so, therefore, I feel very much excited. But as always in this sport, there's always some sort of drama going on, whether it be someone getting COVID, some drama that's going on in a different continent, or just anything going on in terms of transfers. It's good to talk about it, and I'm really excited heading into the new year of what's there uh, in store, because it's a World Cup year as well. It's not just any other year, Joe. It is a World Cup year, and those are always the ones that are the most special ones. So very excited to really look forward to speaking about everything that's going on in the sport with you. Possibly going to be the busiest year of our existence, right? I mean, between kicking it off with the African Cup of Nations, we still have World Cup qualifying. We still have Champions League, Europa League. We're going to end up playing pretty much well through the summer. Uh, as teams qualify, and then we're going to end with the World Cup. I mean, I, I don't see us getting a week off at this point. Um, it's crazy, but uh, yeah, let's jump into it, my friend. Um, you know, obviously the breaking news here just a few minutes ago uh, officially announced uh, Toronto FC have acquired Lorenzo Insigne at the end of the Serie A season. Um, we're going to talk about all the transfers and everything else coming up in just a minute, but first, my friend, you have the trivia honors. We're going to bring that back this week, so why don't you hit me with it? 
Let's do it. So obviously we'll be talking AFCON with our guest Tosin, and I figure the most best way to get into this tournament and get into the spirit of it is to see how good your memory is. So okay. AFCON has had numerous winners in its history. Mm. It started back in 1957. It's the 60. It's a 65-year-old tournament. This is the 33rd edition of the tournament. How many different winners have won this tournament? And I closed my links. You know, as we talked to Tosin, I have all my information up, and I'm like, click, 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 close, 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 and now you're asking me that. Uh, great. Um, I'm going to put a number down, and I'm going to see if I can rattle off winners for you uh, at the end of the show, and we'll see how close I get to it. So uh, good question, though. It's a very, very good question. Let's, um, let's jump into opening thoughts, and obviously opening thoughts, we're going to look at the transfer window. The transfer window is really... Eight days old at this point, but as in uh, as mentioned in the intro, uh, Kieran Trippier has made the move from Atleti to um, to Newcastle. Uh, we've also just mentioned that uh, just breaking sort of breaking news, one of the worst kept secrets. Lorenzo Insigne moves on to Toronto FC. Uh, there have been a couple of other uh, moves that have happened in the meantime. Usually, this is a quiet um, a quiet window, but I feel like there are going to be some places. For me, this is going to be more rumor um, and none more, none bigger than, uh, you know, anybody moving to Barcelona. Obviously, Barcelona brought in Ferran Torres from um, from Manchester City. Uh, they did that at the beginning of this window. And from this point forward, they really don't have much capital to spend on another player unless they sell players. So now you're seeing rumors of Sergio Dest possibly being on the market. Uh, we've heard Frankie de Jong, um, you know, rumors here and there, although I don't think they'll, they'll ever part with him. Memphis Depay, his name has come up as well. Uh, so there are going to be a few spots where, where players are going to be rumored. This is probably going to be a rumor heavy transfer window. Um, what are you hearing right now? Roberto and what uh, what kind of moves do you see coming up you know I, I know we'll get into Luca Digne and we'll, we'll get into a couple of other players but what do you see going on so far well <clears throat> I think it's really more of I think a lot of teams trying to straighten as much as they can um, I think on the long term I think obviously you know you always get those moves in the in the summer that are always bigger, but um, no, I, I think because of still we're in a situation where, and this has always happened, Joe, you know, we don't really see a lot of transfers being made in January, at least the big ones. I mean, there are certain exceptions, but nothing of this se sense. And, you know, obviously I think the big one that we got was Trippier going to Newcastle or Coutinho going to Aston Villa, obviously stateside with Ricardo Pepe going to Oxford. So yeah, I think it's, um, I think just because as well, you know, this is going to be a weird year for a lot of these teams. The fact that, you know, action has to be stopped in the middle of the year. Well, I should say in, in November. Um, so I think it's mainly the case of players just they're trying to get as much consistency for the whole year. And I think a lot of these teams are smart in getting these type of players. But I think it's just the sense of normality going back to these big transfers and obviously being in a World Cup year. You know, a lot of these players want to get these moves to, you know, hopefully boost their chances of qualifying and, and many things like that. So, or even going to a team that is already in the World Cup. So, yeah, I think there's, there is action and you see that from a lot of these teams, but I think ultimately we're still seeing the stuff that we usually see in the summer. But um, no, it's, it's been good from what we've seen so far and I'm curious to see what happens in the next 
uh, 20 odd days or something like that. Yeah, let's let's dive in a little further into uh, Philip Coutinho because uh, obviously he's one. He's gone out on loan to Aston Villa um, from Barcelona, and you know this is one of those moves that I think is one of those those linchpins that Barca need to make happen to free up that capital. But let's look at it from the Aston Villa side um, because this is this is a great great player. I was on Talk Sport this week and we talked about this move you know rather quickly. But this is, I think this is a great move for all sides. Uh, Barcelona, it frees up a little bit of capital in terms of the salary. Uh, Aston Villa, they bring in that midfielder that they really, really need desperately since Jack Grealish left. Uh, and then Philip Coutinho, who has basically been riding the bench for 18 months, um, now gets to get back onto the pitch. I, I believe he's 31 years old. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's almost like a now or never situation. This was a great move for everybody involved, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think it is. I think, um, you know, obviously someone like him definitely needs the, the, and it's hard to believe it. He's only 29 or something like that, Joe. Yeah. Like he's still a young player and, you know, this is, it's like, it's that it's like that Wayne Rooney thing. It's like, he's been playing forever. It kind of feels that way, but he's only 29. He turns 30 in June. Um, and he's actually still on the Brazil squad as well. I think he's been called up maybe the last couple times. I don't remember it, mm-hmm. but um, no, no, he was yeah, he was on the he was on the squad for um, for Chichi in the last games against Colombia and Argentina. So you know, this one, this is a player that I think is just desperately trying to find the best form possible to, to go to the World Cup because yeah. I think that's ultimately what he wants to do. I think he ultimately wants to do something that allows him to get the consistency at Aston Villa and. You know, obviously, he's teaming up with a former teammate and his now new manager, Steven Gerrard. So it could indeed work out well. But, yeah, I mean, if it goes well for him, maybe this is a case where Villa keep on him. You know, we have to see what kind of demands that he wants and I'm sure the wages that he wants as well because that's always a, a key thing. The transfer fee is one thing, but if it's uh, if they're high wages, that, that always becomes a a um, an Achilles heel for, for a lot of these teams. But, no, it's it's good to see him. Finally pick up some form. I mean, it's just unfortunate that we were never able to see the best of him at Barcelona that we saw at Liverpool. But, um, no, I think if it goes well for him, you know, I I think he has a really good chance of making that Brazil squad at the end of the year. So I'm I'm happy to see him in the Premier League again, and let's hope that he does very much well. Because it's one of those stories of, like, you know, the comeback kids and whatnot. I mean, this isn't someone that was really much a a bad player to say nevertheless, but it just it did not work for him. I mean, he had also a lot of injuries as well, but um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm rooting for him. I'm rooting for him and I hope that he does well at uh, Aston Villa. And you bring up a couple of good points. One, one was the amount of success he had in, in the premier league. It was something that I had brought up uh, on the radio the other night that it is, it is a, a place of massive success for him and, and everything he did at Liverpool. So I think coming back into England and playing there, I think is, is definitely very, very good for his career and, and for his own mental health, you know, to revitalize what, what he's done. He, he draws on those past experiences for that. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to bring up that you kind of hinted to a little bit was the fact that we're in a World Cup year. Um, normally, obviously, the World Cup is played in, in June and July. And this winter window doesn't really have, in my opinion, quite the uh, player selection effect that it that I think it has this time because we are almost a year removed from the World Cup at the moment. Um, and this is really more concerning for me for Ricardo Pepe because uh, he was a kid. I mean, he's 18 years old, on great form, scoring goals in World Cup qualifiers for the United States, um, playing at FC Dallas, and then all of a sudden, boom, he goes to uh, he goes to Germany, 
And the, the curiosity is, you said this morning he's uh, he's actually on the bench today. Um, but does he remain on that bench or does he actually get playing time and how does he perform? I think some players that are are looking to stabilize their ability to go to the World Cup moving in this window makes it very, very a little trickier, in my opinion. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Do you, do you feel the same way or do you think that moving in this window just will have the same effect as it would in any other normal World Cup year? Well, I think you want to get them right when they're hot. You know, I think it's that's the most important thing. And, you know, the good thing about him is he's still young. He's still 18 mm. years old. And, you know, I think there's a lot of potential there. And the fact that he's already going on a team like that, okay, it's not the biggest of teams, but, hey, it's the, it's the Bundesliga, Oxford, or, or a side you know, at the time of recording they're winning. So maybe it is a, the effect after all. But, no, I think that's really it. I think it's just getting the playing time possible. Um but that's the key as well. Not just getting the playing time is to do well. I mean, you saw, you see players make moves, and um, one in particular is probably Josh Sargent, who went to Norwich after being at Vetter uh, Bremen, and he's not doing so well. And maybe a lot of fans would not put him on the the U.S. squad if they were to make the World Cup, let alone even on the on the qualifiers list. So, yeah, I, I think that's it really. And I think obviously, like I mentioned, you know, Pepe's 18. Just turned 18. Actually, no, never mind. What am I saying? He turns 19 tomorrow. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, again, so it's, it's the right move for him. I think he definitely has what it takes, and he showed that in an MLS, obviously, last year, that he can definitely hit it off in Germany. And now it's all up to him, really. Yeah. That's all we can really ask for is to see how he can do there. And, and um, you know, if it all goes well, we see what he can do at the qualifiers, and obviously, hopefully, can help. Uh, provide for the World Cup list, uh, World Cup team, if they indeed make it. Yeah, American fans obviously hoping he does get to that next level um, with the move to uh, Germany and him. Last one I want to talk about real quick is uh, is the Chelsea left back situation. Um, currently looking at Luca Digne, uh, who is leaving Everton after falling out with uh, Rafa Benitez there. Uh, Serginho Dest's name has also come up. Could you imagine two Americans at Chelsea, uh, which would be rather interesting? Um, there are a couple other options. What are, you, what are your thoughts on the Chelsea left-back situation? Uh, and obviously, Ben Chilwell's taken a, a big injury. He's going to be out for a long time. So this is really something to to fill that gap for them. Um, do, do you think Digne will go to Chelsea? Do you think, even though uh, Fabrizio Romano said he absolutely will not go to Newcastle, that there's still an opportunity <laughs> there? I mean, Newcastle right now, you know, obviously they brought in Kieran Trippier. The rumor is Aaron Ramsey is going to be going there from Juventus. Um, that is going to be all but solidified. Max Allegri's come out and said that Aaron Ramsey is not in the plans. I mean, he publicly stated it. it basically just axed Aaron Ramsey from the team. Um so he might be moving back to uh, the Premier League and specifically Newcastle, uh, you know. But this Chelsea situation, obviously Chelsea are going to pick whichever player they want. Um, do you think they go for Digne? Do you think that they uh, they they convince Barca to sell Sergio Dest? Um, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, it's tight, and you know, I think there's a lot of options out there. I think they said that you know it would be alone with an option as the big possibility they can get Emerson back, who's obviously on loan. Um, I mean, I think obviously <laughs> Chelsea have the money, and I think Everton would definitely like to get that kind of return from Digne if they can, especially if at the at the fees that he's at or the value that he's at. So I, I think more than anything, it, it really is a situation where Chelsea just they have the control really. And I think if Barcelona are willing to let Des go, it probably would have to be at a loan because mm. you know they need the money. 
And so, therefore, there's only a few options that they can do. But, um, yeah, I think they go for Digne. I think, obviously, yeah. the experience in the Premier League playing at Everton and, you know, obviously maybe more experience, not maybe is more experienced than Dest, I think would be the safe choice, especially now with the options that they have. But, um, yeah, no, I think Dinian going to, to Chelsea would be something that would definitely affect Everton a lot, but uh, would definitely help Chelsea in the long term, at least for the couple of months, or if it's for a longer time, um, that they can get one for. Last, last one I want to bring up with you before we close the segment. Um, uh, there's been some rumblings uh, over the past few days about Erling Holland. Um, you know, not necessarily in this transfer window, but in the summer window, moving from Borussia Dortmund to uh, places unknown at the moment. Manchester United reportedly is out of the running to acquire Holland. Um, I have a, I have a good friend that is a big Chelsea supporter that is that is basically going to church daily, praying that Erling Holland comes <laughs> to Chelsea. Uh, and I and I broke his heart and I said I tell you right now I don't think so I think ultimately Kylian Mbappe is going to stay at PSG and Erling Holland is going to move to Real Madrid. Uh, what are your thoughts on Erling Holland and and even Mbappe because it seems like those two as the days go on become more and more intertwined in terms of where and if they might move. Yeah, um, for some reason I still feel as if though he might go to Manchester City though. Mm-hmm. That's my thing. And that Kylian Mbappe doesn't go to Real Madrid because if it, Joe, this has been been going on for how many years? Of how many oh, times have we said that? Oh, it's the two? dream at move. Least, yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, ever since he exploded onto the scene at Monaco, mm-hmm. it's it, it almost felt like destiny that he was going to go. But you hear these rumors of how Zidane might go in to replace Pochettino and how his plans are to keep Kylian Mbappe on that side. It's it's weird. It really is weird. Um, but um, yeah, I think Erling Haaland eventually does leave Borussia Dortmund. I think that's that's bound to happen. But uh, I guess it all depends on Pochettino, really. I think he's the he's the domino that basically has to fall. Mm-hmm. Um, because if that is indeed the plan that PSG are going for, going for Zidane and hoping to keep Mbappe, then that opens the door for Real Madrid to get someone like Erling Haaland. But um, yeah. I it's tough to call. It's always tough to call when it comes to these big superstar names that basically any team in the world would love to have. And it's, yeah, it's it's so hard to call personally. But um, I still think City might have the opportunity because, you know, they're going to get, they already got money on Fernando Torres um, for that move from Barcelona. So they have money in the bank, more money than they already have at the moment. But uh yeah, I don't know, Joe. I really don't know what could happen. I'm going to say it here right now. Erling Holland to Newcastle. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got the money. They got the money. And that's, uh, that's the, the only thing that matters at this point. So, all right, let's table this discussion because we want to dive into the African Cup of Nations. Obviously, the biggest uh, continental tournament in Africa. Um, it's the Copa America. It's the Euros. It's the Gold Cup in the United States. It's the Asian Cup. It is It is that big. And we wanted to give it some some definitely some due time so we were able to reach out and get from cbs sports tosin mckinde to come back on our show uh he's been doing incredible incredible work following the african cup of nations you'll definitely want to follow him on twitter because he's going to be tweeting about this tournament over the next 30 days or so um but we were able to get him and and have a great interview with him diving into the groups and the players and the teams so without further ado the tosin mckinde interview 
And joining us now on Low Limit Football from the Shirtless Plantain Podcast and CBS Sports, Tosin McKinday. Tosin, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you back on. I want to open the question because we're going to dive deep into the African Cup of Nations coming up here, which kicks off on Sunday. I want to start off with the status of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Uh, Obviously made the trip from Arsenal to Gabon to play for his national team. Uh, Picks up COVID along the way. What is his current status and will he be ready in time for their opening match? I think nobody knows what's going on with those guys at all. Um, Cabone's like really, really, you know, up and down. Um, they have two guys who basically, everyone knows who they are in Europe, their talent level at least, in Aubameyang and um, Mario Lamina. But again, those two are just so volatile. So I don't know. I don't think he, I don't think those two are going to play, which sucks um, because they were, I don't know if it was a party, if they were out at dinner, but um, just based on everything, no one knows. And he tested positive two days ago, so I don't think he'll play. Now, obviously, you know, Tosin, this this tournament, I think, has gotten, in a way, you know, you're going to get your praise, but also your critics as well. And one of the critics that was made, particularly from a European standpoint, is how a lot of these clubs, or at least people that, you know, support uh, these teams, maybe directors or, or even managers as well, have really downgraded this AFCON tournament. And I think it's such a a misguided approach because of how big this tournament is, not just for the continent, but I think for the world. And you look at how much the talent has been made and, you know, how it's even viewed in all the top five leagues and all the other countries in the world. So I just want your thoughts on how, you know, from your standpoint of, you know, why this tournament matters and why people who obviously are completely misguided about it and have really down, uh, really talk bad about it just shouldn't be in that position. I mean, it's, it's perception, right? It's like the way you perceive everything in life. Um, a lot of people, for example, don't really think too much about the continent, which obviously just comes from media bias, a lot of people's biases. There's a lot of great things happen on the content, especially with football uh, on the continent, sorry. Um, a lot of a lot of great things that happen on the continent. I mean, you look at Mali, for example, like what they're doing with the academy and like how Mali might have some of the best midfielders in the world, not just on the African continent. Um, so a lot of people aren't really paying attention to what's happening on the ground or what's happening with just in general, like, Look at the best players in the world, for example. You got Mane, you got Salah, you got Mares. You also have Edouard Mendy. And it's not just to say, like, oh, we have, you know, the best players. But it's just a really great tournament that's happened before Euros. Like, Afcon Lily is older than the Euros. So this has been going on for a long time. And like I said, it's, it's just more of a perspective thing. I think a lot of people, when they think about Africa, they think about, you know, it's a third world. It's third world countries and this and that. And I often look at Afcon and Copa America as, like, basically twin brothers. Like, I think those two tournaments for me are the most exciting, um, you know, continental tournaments in the world for me. Like, every time I watch Copa America, like, I watched it last year, I was just like, man, there's so many talented players playing back home. There's so many talented players that people don't really know about. And it's just, to me, like, they're literally the same thing, almost. It's just two tournaments that people don't really watch. And when they do watch, it's, like, towards the later stages. But in the group stages, like, for example, I fell in love with Wilmar Barrios watching Copa America. And I didn't know how good Wilmar was until, you know, a couple of my friends told me, um, and I didn't realize, like, oh, my God, Wilma's really good. But you don't really know how good these players are until you watch these tournaments. So there's a lot of just, like, ignorance and born in ignorance and just willful ignorance. So it's just get that out your head. Understand it's a really fun tournament. There's 24 teams that was expanded. So you're going to see a lot more, you know, talented players, a lot more colorful, just everything. So it's going to be a fun time. Definitely. It's going to be a fun time. And we get started, obviously, with Group A with the tournament host Cameroon in their group with Burkina Faso, Ethiopia, and Cape Verde. You know, obviously, the pressure is right there from the get-go for Cameroon as host. 
yep. you know, obviously being a team that has been successful, you know, they've won this tournament five times and going for a sixth title. The last time that they won was back in 2017. So, you know, mm-hmm. going into this tournament and going into this group, I mean, the pressure's on there from the start. You, you look at how they have so many talented players like Andre Ilana, Vincent Akubakar, Carl Toko Okambi. Right now, according to odds, play, um, odds checkers, they're currently fourth favorites to win AFCON. Yeah. So how do you assess this group? And do you feel that it could indeed be straightforward? Or, you know, do you look at other teams like Burkina Faso and and Ethiopian Cape Bird really giving them uh, a bit of a hard time in this group. So I think Cameroon definitely won this group. One team that a lot of people don't really know about, which I actually had the fortunate, like, you know, I had to know about them because they almost beat Nigeria's Cape Bird. Um, I wrote about this, but Cape Bird is really, really hard to play against. I don't know what version will come out, but the one that played against Nigeria twice, we got lucky. <laughs> we got lucky to beat them, I'll tell you that much. They literally do not care who you are, what you are. They just run at you all day. Um, I really do like some players in Burkina Faso, obviously, like, you know, the, the standout stars, uh, Bertrand Traore, obviously. Uh, but I really, really like just the way these teams are set up. Like, you don't know who you're going to get. Like, Ethiopia, no one really knows too much about Ethiopia. So that's the thing is it's like, what are you going to get? Even uh, Tapsoba in the back, like, he's a really, really talented center back who Burkina Faso has. But my favorite player in Cameroon actually is uh, Angisa. I've been watching a lot of Napoli this season, and Angisa is just, I saw what he did in Fulham, but what he's doing with Napoli this season is ridiculous. So that's my favorite player out of every out of every player in this group um, is Angisa. I really like Angisa a lot. I was going to say, how do you guys go through a group without mentioning Andre Frank Zambo Angisa? I mean, he's probably yeah. got the best name in, in the world. In the whole world. Yeah. Right. And the thing is, like, I watch Angisa because obviously, like, I'm selfish. Like, I have to watch... Uh, Syria for work, but because Usman plays for Napoli, I'm always watching Usman. And every time I watch Angisa, I'm like, do you guys know how good Angisa is? Like, am, am I tripping here? Like, he's literally a perfect midfielder. Like, he's literally the most perfect box to box midfielder. So, you know, yeah. obviously you have Chupa Moting there, but I really love Angisa's game. Like, he's really good. Yeah, he's, he's definitely. And they beat Ivory Coast. They beat Ivory Coast. The reason why Ivory Coast is not going to the World Cup is because of Cameroon. And those guys are just. They're at home. Eto's not a president, so it's just like they got a lot to show out for now. Yeah, he's he's definitely one of the best box to box in the world. And and you know, you bring up a good point with Napoli because obviously missing Victor Osman, like you said, missing Angisa, missing Kalido Kulibali, which we'll we'll get to in a little in a moment. That's one of the teams that really got kind of quote unquote hurt by this. So um let's move on to group B really quick because uh group B I think is pretty straightforward for me. You've got Guinea, Malawi, uh the the favorites in Senegal and Zimbabwe. Um, mm-hmm. Senegal really, you know, they've, they've been to the final, they've never won it. Um, but they're certainly one of the most talented, actually they're runners up to Algeria, the defending champions in 2019. This is a mm-hmm. team that is star studded. I mean, Edouard Mendy, Khalido Koulibaly, who we just mentioned, Idrissa Gay, uh, Ismail Yassar, Sadio Mane, of course, from Liverpool. I mean, there are so, there's so much talent. What does this team have to do to mess this? I mean, I, they're going to, they're going to win this group. I, I don't see any of the other teams doing it, but. Moving forward, what's their weakness, do you think, that would really trip them up uh, on their way to the finals? It's a mentality thing. Um, one of my friends joked, I know this is not a funny thing to joke about, but he said the reason why Senegal's never won is because they've never had a civil war. I'm just like, you're getting way too deep into colonialism. But <laughs> I just feel like it's a mentality thing with Senegal. Like, they're super talented. I love Alucisa. I remember when he played a walk like, I love Alucisa. I think he's a great manager. I, For me, and it's the same thing I say, because even I see in Copa America, too, I love to see countries have you know managers that used to play and players and commanders from their own country from so for me to see a senegalese man coaching his team really makes me happy 
Um, I really, really like some of these players that they have, like Papa Matasar, who plays for Mets, who's going to Tot- who's, you know, on loan at Tottenham. Um, Idrissa Gay, who I just think, like, he's a hatchet man. You just can't get past him. Um, so it's about, like, how do they... Even even Bula Diaye, who plays for Villarreal, like, he hasn't lighted up too much, but he's he's shown, like, he can score goals. So it's really, can they mentally get it together? Because they have the talent. It's just, can they put it together and, like, finally work it together? Um, one team I do like in this group is Guinea. I love Guinea's midfield. They got Nabi Keita, um, Mariba. They also have um, Amudu Diarroa. So it's just like they got a lot of talent in the midfield, but it's just are they going to score goals? But we'll see. But I, I really like Guinea in this group as well. Now, going into, obviously, Group C is really a group that I think is very much open. And, you know, we also have to spend, send a special mention to Scomaros, who make their tournament debut in this one. But it's the group with Morocco, Ghana, and Gabon. Now, looking at these teams, you know, obviously, yeah. Gabon is led by Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. We'll see, obviously, how his status will be. You have a team yeah. that's Ghana, like Ghana, who have always been a talented side throughout this content and have always demonstrated. And you have Morocco as well, who obviously also won't be without their main player, Hakim Ziyech, obviously due to some beef, apparently, with the, with the manager. But this group is really tight, Tosin. I mean, how, how do you see it? And, you know, it, it, what can we expect from the teams that are in it? So on paper, obviously, it's going to be Morocco and Ghana, but you can never sleep on teams like Gabon and Comoros because the thing with AFCON is like, you don't know who's going to show up. You don't know what's going to show up. Like, you know, who's going to get injured. But with Morocco, I mean, even though they didn't, like, I mean, they also left Ajax uh, is right back at home, uh, Maserati, which is nuts. But that's just going to show you the depth of talent this team has. I mean, and not on paper, I mean, you got Roman Saiz, you got Hakimi, who's probably the best right back in the world. You got Adam Messina. Um, you have players like, you know, El, El Nasseri. You have a whole bunch of talented players, but it's just like Sofian Bufal's there. Um, but it's just like, how do you, Again, it's just like not everyone's gonna play. No matter how talented you are in this tournament, like even Amrabat, who plays for Fiorentina's there. So it's just like, how do you really put all these players together in the in the right formation in the right way that everybody can play? Because on paper, Morocco should be walking this should be walking this group. I mean, I, I think Ghana's talented, but I feel Ghana's kind of fell off a little bit. I mean, I love Kamaldine, who's probably one of my favorite players to watch in this tournament, who plays for Rennes, but. Um, Mohamed Kudus couldn't make it because of injury, which, you know, I, I think Kudus is a talented player to play from Ajax, but I just don't know if Ghana can get it right. Um, I think they'll get it out the group, but then after they get out the group, I mean, you watch their friendly, obviously it's a friendly, no one's really trying to go too hard um, against Algeria, but Algeria just walked them. Like in the first 10 minutes, the game was done, but, you know, it it really just depends on like, do they get it right? And that's, that's the same thing I say for every one of these groups is like, can the, the favorites get it right? Because you need a little bit of luck. You need a little bit of just good fortune. But I don't know about Ghana too much going forward after like the group stages. So yeah, the days of the days of Asamo Gyan are, are are kind of gone now at this point. You know, American football fans will definitely remember the the Ghanaian side um, from past World Cups. So it's uh, it's definitely Morocco's I think to 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 take like you said. But they're still pretty talented with the IU brothers there, um, even though they're on the on the backside of their of their careers, but Thomas Partey's there as well. So, I mean, they, they're still pretty talented. Um, we'll have mm-hmm. to, yeah, we'll have to see what Morocco gives uh, gives them and if they can kind of keep it together. Uh, let's go to Group D, which I know we're going to spend a little bit of time on um, <laughs> because <laughs> we've got we've got uh, Egypt, uh, Guinea-Bissau, yeah. we've got Sudan, and then the team that uh, you're going to be most familiar with, which is Nigeria. 
Yeah. Uh, obviously, I think for me, looking at this group, you know, looking ahead, it's it's a two team race, obviously between Nigeria and um, and Mo Salah and Egypt, and and I kind of give the edge to uh, Nigeria in this one in this group, just strictly because they seem a little deeper to me. Um, with guys like Ayanacho and, and Wilfred Ndidi, uh, I think mm. they're you know they're certainly a little bit more talented in my opinion than the uh, Egyptian side. But when you've got Mo Salah, um, arguably one of the best players in the world, if not the best player in the world, uh, you know you've got to pay attention to him. Um, you know, also you know things are I, I don't know the status of Victor Awesome, and I know he had the facial fracture. Um, he's out. Yeah, he, he's out out completely. So, yeah. mm-hmm. and, and that's a terrible loss for Nigeria because he's yeah. obviously super, super talented. Um, but yeah. what are your thoughts on this group? Um, can Nigeria win this group? Uh, is Egypt going to give them enough trouble? Uh, you know, how do you see this one going? So, I actually got yelled at my friend. Her mom is Egyptian. Her mom actually yelled at me in Arabic. So, <laughs> I'm sorry for uh, pissing you off and not playing any of the Egyptian plays in my plays to watch. But uh, Omar Mamush, who plays for Stuttgart, is actually a really talented player. Um, Robert Dunsoby is another player to watch out for. I mean, he played in the Premier League. Trezeguet is obviously there. So it's just really for Egypt for me. It's like, can the supporting cast uh, help Salah? That's really what they look for. It's like, can Salah... Because um, a lot of these players, people don't really know them because they all played back in the Egyptian League. I mean, there's a few players played in Galatasaray. Uh, you know, Stuttgart, as you mentioned. Uh, there's uh, El Neni, who plays for Arsenal. Uh, but most of these guys play in, uh, in, in Egypt. So most people don't really know too much about them unless you're really watching the Egyptian League. Um, so there's not really too much to know about these players, but again, like Egypt showed what they could do in the Arab Cup, and it's just really like, can Egypt support Salah? That's that's really it. You know, I look at someone like Guinea Bissau. Like, I mean, obviously, some of these players people don't really know too much about them. Some of them play most of them play in Portugal, or some of them play in France, but not too much is really known about Guinea Bissau. Um, so they could possibly co- uh, cover shock. I mean, but again, that like, you just look at someone like in like Sudan, like most of their players play back home and not so much is known about them. But then you look at someone like Nigeria, like even though they're missing Emmanuel Dennis, they're missing Igalo's not there anymore. Um, you know, Osama is not there, Leon Balik was not there. Nigeria's still incredibly talented on paper. I mean, you have someone like all I know plays in Syria, you have Zaidu who played Champions League for Porto. Um, then you look at the midfield, and Didi's probably one of the best midfielders in the Premier League. It will be on his day as a good player, but that comes few and far between. Joe Rebo's another player that, unless you watch the Scottish League, you don't really know too much about Joe Rebo, but he's a super talented player who I think should be playing in a three-man midfield. Then you have Franco, Franco Yenka, who plays for Brentford, and we've seen what he can do this season. Um, Kelly Chinquali is another player who, not, I mean, back in the day, like he was on the same team that won with Chukwueze and Osimhen, so he was one of the three talented players back then. Ajuke is my favorite player on this team. I think Ajuke reminds me so much of like the JJ Costa dribbling, like the 90 dribbling. He's such a good player. But it's just can Nigeria like we fired our coach three weeks before, which is the most, you know, Nigerian thing to do. That's that's what we do. We like to have drama before the tournament starts. So the thing is, is can Nigeria really put down a team where they listen to the coach? Because Egwon used to play for them. He actually won the Afghan in 94. So it's can they listen to somebody who's done this before? Can they get the right formation? And for me, I think Nigeria should go 4-3-3, but we'll probably go 4-2-3-1, which I hate, but I just personally feel like Nigeria should have a midfield three of Aribo, uh, Franco Yenken, and Didi, which is just legs all day, and have a front three of Taiwa Wani, who plays in um, who plays for Union Berlin, with Chukwueze and um, Franco and, and Educate, but... We'll see. I mean, I'm, I really like this Nigeria team. I know a lot of like Nigerians back home and Nigerians overseas are just like kind of down the luck. It's like, oh, who's going to be our striker? But it's just like, again, you guys know me. Like, I, 
I'm a nerd. I love watching all the football leagues in the world. So even so, like Tyrone Abue, who's done really well for Venezia this season. So, you know, we'll see how Nigeria does. I'm I'm excited. I'm personally really excited to see how Nigeria does. There's always drama when it comes to Nigeria, that's for sure. <laughs> Yeah. Um, looking at obviously the next group in Group E, where you have two of the favorites and and really a tight one. You have the defending champions Algeria with Sierra Leone, Equatorial Guinea, and Ivory Coast. Now, obviously, we're going to talk to Algeria in a bit, but looking at Ivory Coast, I mean, this is a team that is obviously going into Cameroon very much upset. I mean, the fact that you had mentioned it, they lost to them, and because they're not going to the World Cup, they're really looking for revenge and really wanting to prove that. They are one of the best in the tournament. You look at the quality of talent they have. Eric Bailly, Serge Ayer, Maxwell Cornet, uh, Wilfred Zaha, the list goes on and on. But you look at Algeria, obviously the defending champions, easily maybe the favorite or one of the favorites to win the tournament. They had just also won the FIFA Arab Cup. I think they're also on like a 34-match winning streak or something like that. So this is a side that, and obviously <laughs> looking at the talent that they have at their disposal, Riyad Mahrez, Ismail Benasser, I mean, Saidvaram, I mean, there's there's so much talent there. So, Tosin, I mean, how do you see this group? Because you look at how you would say that Algeria and Ivory Coast are really going at it right here. But who do you think has the advantage? And, and hey, maybe do we see a surprise with maybe Sierra Leone or Equatorial Guinea doing something? It's Algeria and Senegal. Algeria and Ivory Coast in this group for me, man. Like, I, I just look at Algeria. Like, they're just literally a super team. Like, you just look at Algeria. Like, it got up front is... Adamonawas, they got Islam Samani, Baghdad Bonaja, Riyad Mahrez, Saeed Benarama. That's just their attackers. And then their midfield, Benasser's there, like we mentioned. Yassin Barimi's there, Fuguli's there. I mean, they just it just doesn't make any sense. Like, even like their right backs, they got Yosef Atal. Like it they are just really just together as a team. And they just coming off of winning Arab Cup. So they're already buoyed by that. And they also have uh Embolian goal, who's just steady for them, just always been steady. So but again, I love Ivory Coast midfield. Like one of my favorite players in this tournament <clears throat> is Ibrahim uh, Sangari. Like I love Sangari. I think he's the next one up to come, like to make a major move as far as midfielders in this tournament. And then Frank Cassie is another player who I watch a lot of. So, you know, it's and then Sebastian Halle has ten Champions League goals. So you know, it's it, it's impressive. It's really impressive. You know, I, I wanted to bring up the point about Haller because he's had such a great Champions League. Uh, you know, you think about his career so far where he's bounced around Europe. He went over to uh, to the Premier League, didn't fare very well there, went back to Germany. I'm sorry, not Germany. He went um, to uh, to Ajax or, or to, uh, to um, oh my goodness, I lost my brain. He was at, he was at Frankfurt before that. That's right. And yeah. um, but, but then just turned it back around. And uh, yeah. you know, just in an amazing way. So I think I, I think a guy like like Alaire coming into this tournament, coming into with form, I think is probably one of the most dangerous things, and might be the the last piece that they would need to uh, to get them over the top. Um, let's let's move on to uh, to Group F. One quick, quickly before everybody like before we move on, Karim Kanate, he's seventeen years old. He plays back home in Ivory Coast. Um, he's gonna wear number two, I think, in this tournament. That's another player that a lot of people should watch out for. Um, so if he does do well, just know you heard it here first. But Karim Kanate is another striker that they have. Seventeen. I'm not sure if he's gonna play with all the attacking talent that they have because they still have players like Jeremy Boga who might not even play at all. But that's another player to watch out for. Definitely. So I, you you heard it here first. We've had we've had a few of those in the past when we re, when we've reviewed tournaments. So. Um, yeah. let, let's kick it off with Group F, which I think for me is a little tough to uh, to predict. Gambia uh, in this one with uh, Musa Barrow, Mali comes into this, Mauritania, and then Tunisia. Obviously, the the strength in this particular group would probably be in Tunisia, but uh, mm-hmm. this one this this group just seems a little more wide open to me, don't you think? Or a little more 
uh, unpredictable. Yeah. I mean, the thing is with AFCON, like now, like the, you know, the, the third base, the third place finish is also qualified too. But I feel like there's some three just really talented teams. Like, for example, when I look at Gambia's midfield, right, they have, um, they have a player who plays in Roma, um, Darbo, who a lot of people really like. Mourinho's like, likes him a lot. So Darbo's a really good player. Musa Barrow's really good up, up, up front as well. So that's another team like you can't really sleep on because even Umar Kali plays with Sampdoria. Um, it's a lot of talented players. So it's just can they again like I, I like I like Gambia a lot. And then we look at Mali, who for me their midfield is very very silly. Like they have Amadou Hadara, they have uh, Basuma in their midfield, they have Musa Genapo as well. Um, they also have a player who plays for Hoffenheim. I can't really pronounce his name, but his first name is Diadi. He's another really good player as well who's linked to United now. And then you also have Mamad, Mamad uh, Kamra who plays for Salzburg. So Salzburg's in Champions League um, uh, knockout stage. So this is a team that, like, they got players playing in, in big leagues. They got players from Rennes, Mets, Nuts. Um, they have a striker, Ibrahim Kone, who might probably start. Um, he's really good as well. So, again, I really, really like Mali's midfield. And these, again, like Mali, like I mentioned in the beginning, Mali's one of those teams who – They've won a lot of youth AFCON tournaments, and a lot of those players now are finally starting to play together from, like, the U-17, the U-8, you know, the younger stages, and now they're together. Tunisia is another one of my favorites. I mean, you know, they have one of my one of my favorite talents in the in the world in um in midfield. They have uh, Hannibal Medjubri from United, who I love a lot. Even um Ellis uh, Sakiri, who's their defensive midfielder from Cologne, like, he's another talented player. So, for me, I look at these teams, and I'm just like, there's a lot of talent here. Can everybody get it right? Because when you look at these players on paper, you're just like, whoa, I'm I'm gonna be paying attention to like these certain teams. But for me, like Tunisia, Mali, and Gambia, for me, those three, I really hope they all go to the knockout stage because they're gonna be fun to watch in the in like in the latter stages. Diadi Samaseko. I wanted yes. to, I wanted to give it a try. <laughs> I just wanted to give it a shot. So Roberto, I want to go back to you real quick because obviously we're at we're at the prediction time of the program here where we kind of want to put a label on who we think is going to win this. So, um, like you were so kind to provide the uh, from the the odds from Odds Checker, Senegal are the favorites right now. Algeria, the defending champs, are the number two choice. Ivory Coast, Cameroon, and Egypt round out the top five. We go down to Nigeria at seven. I don't want to forget them, Tosin. So, um, you know, from you, what what do you think? Is this is this going to be a repeat uh, for Algeria that some are predicting, um, or do you think uh, Senegal finally get over the top and get uh, get their first title? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's really tough to call, and I think for for Senegal's case, it, it's that whole mental thing, and I think. For them, and you know, obviously the talent that they have, it really is now or never. I mean, you look at such really talented players who right are in the prime of their careers, and obviously you have a lot of them coming up as well. But for this type of tournament, I think it's now or never for them. So yeah, it's really tough to call. And you look at Algeria, obviously we had mentioned defending champions, won the Arab Cup, are on this incredible winning streak. I mean, I I think it's Algeria again. You know, for some odd reason, I think just the talent that they have, the fact that Tosin had mentioned it's it's this super team of of players, and, and you know the fact that they've just been such a well oiled machine. I'm personally I'm going for Algeria in this one as defending champions, and and to repeat, it's going to be a tight one, but I think they edge it out one way or another. If you had to pick a dark horse, who would you pick? Ooh, that's a tough one. That's a really tough one. Uh I think it might 
be probably Molly. Yeah. You know, I, I like the talent that they have as well. I, I think, you know, like you know, Justin mentioned, I think they, they have something out there that they could work with. And, you know, if they do indeed make it to the knockout stages and, and cause difficulties to one of the bigger teams there, I think it's up. I think it's them. You know, I, I think they can definitely do something. Tosin, I want, I want to go back to you because I, obviously I want your prediction. Now, obviously predicting with your heart, Nigeria's got this already won and, uh, and we don't yep. even need to watch the tournament, right? So. Um, Correct, <laughs> but but in reality, I'm gonna be real. Um, it's always gonna be Algeria for me, man. Like they just, I mean, Algeria is just ridiculous. I I would never bet against um, what's it called either Egypt though, because they're the kings of the continent, and I really love Carlos Caros. I mean, I've seen obviously him win the Champions League with Man United. Like that's my guy. Um, Carlos Caros just has them down tactically, but for me, it's just Algeria, man. They just the strength in numbers with them, and they they kind of know what they're doing. Um, but Again, for me, my heart's always going to say Nigeria. I'll never bet against Nigeria. But my analyst hat, like being a real, like realistic person, is Algeria. But uh, like Roberto said, my dark horse is Mali. So, Mali. Yeah. All right. I, you know, for me, <laughs> as a gambler in these situations, I always end up going with chalk. So I'm, I'm going to actually go with Senegal. Uh, I'm going to say they're, they're going to break through and they're going to get there first. Um, is, it, is it fair to call Nigeria a dark horse? You know, they're, they're the, no. I think they're, okay. So then, then I would have to go with Mali as well. I just think, you know, Nigeria, I think yeah. they're, what are they? Two, four, six, seventh choice right now, according to odds checker uh, at 10 to one to yeah. win the tournament. Um, you know, for me, they're on the fringe of that dark horse level, but, uh, but I, I see where, where you guys are going with Mali, um, especially as talented as they are. And, and, you know, having all the youth competitions in their bag that this might be their time to, really stamp you know put their stamp on on the continent and 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 bring something home that is even bigger than the youth tournaments so uh i think there's there's certainly an opportunity there i i I think senegal is just way way too talented and i think senegal might actually have something to prove on top of it um and and because of that i think when you go in with your chip on your shoulder that you know it's us against the world a lot of times if you're if you're talented enough and you have that attitude you you really carry through so I'm, i'm gonna Probably stick with Senegal on that one. Um, Tosin, I, I want to thank you for joining us. And, and to our listeners, uh, you know, you can find a lot of his work on CBS Sports. And, and if you want a refresher, obviously the tournament kicks off tomorrow uh, on Sunday. And if you want a, a refresher of any of this, you wrote some fantastic, fantastic articles on there that uh, that are basically, you know, necessary reading going into this tournament. So I want to commend you on that. It was great, great work. And, and I really enjoyed reading all of it. So um again before we let you go let's aside from cbs sports where can everybody else find your work uh so i do shirtless plantain show uh, we might be bringing about youtube um so shirtless plantain shows there follow me on twitter nigerian scams um but I, that's with three s's but honestly the man i just honestly just love to create content doesn't matter with who doesn't matter where i just love football i'm always watching it even on my days off so just catch me on Twitter or, or YouTube, whatever. So there's going to be a lot of AFCON content coming for me this this uh, tournament. And, so. and and definitely worth the follow because it, it's always great content, man. Thanks again for, <laughs> for joining us, um, and we'll definitely speak again soon, my friend. Take care, everyone. And special thanks again to Tosin McKinday for joining us on the show. Roberto, we have got a jam-packed Match of the Week segment coming up here because we still have uh, European leagues going on, but we obviously have the African Cup of Nations. So, uh, and we're going to get football every day this week. So, you know, it's going to be awesome. Uh, let's kick it off on Sunday because we're recording this on Saturday. So we're going to give you a Sunday match, which is the opening match of the African Cup of Nations with Cameroon facing Burkina Faso at 11 a.m. On Monday, we have Morocco and Ghana at 11 a.m. On Tuesday, 
Nigeria, Egypt. That's the big one we talked about with Tosin at 11 a.m. On Wednesday, Equatorial Guinea and Ivory Coast start at 1 p.m. And Thursday, Cameroon, Ethiopia at 11 a.m. Friday, Senegal, Guinea at 8 a.m. And then on Saturday, we're going to mix in some European action. Uh, I believe Spain is off uh, next weekend. So we're going to kick off with a really, really big one. Manchester City, Chelsea, 7.30 a.m., followed by Mon- uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, uh, Bayer Leverkusen at 12.30. And then Egypt, Guinea-Bissau at 1 p.m. will close out our Saturday action. Sunday, we'll see us open with Ivory Coast, Sierra Leone at one. I'm sorry, at 11 a.m. And then two big ones uh, on Sunday at the 2.45 slot in Italy. We're going to see Atalanta face Inter and Marseille face Lille. Those two matches are at 2.45 p.m. And that's going to round out our match of the week. So uh, if you would like to hit us with a trivia question again, my friend, I would love to hear it. Absolutely. So in the spirit of Africa Cup of Nations, my question to you is this tournament has had a ton of winners since the start of the, start of the tournament in 1957. How many different winners have there been? Okay. So I'm going to try. Um, I'm going to go Cameroon, one, Morocco. No, no just give me the number. Oh, the number. I, all right. Okay. I, I wrote down the number eight. I'm not sure if it's right or not, but uh, if you want to give me a higher or lower. Um, you're lower. Lower. So it's got to be, so let me see, Cameroon, Morocco, Nigeria. There's, um, there's more teams that won it. Oh, more than eight. Higher, higher. So higher, yeah. So I'm going to go to 11. Higher. All right, last guess. Last one, yep. Unlucky 13. 14. Oh, so close. 14 different winners. The winners have been are as follows. The most successful is Egypt with seven, followed by Cameroon with five. Ghana with four, Nigeria with three, Ivory Coast with two, Algeria with two, the Congo with two, and each of these teams with one title to their name. Zambia, Tunisia, Sudan, Ethiopia, Morocco, South Africa, and Congo. Great, great question. Great question. So without further ado, my friend, let's hit the closing music. Let's do it. All right, here we go. So, for episode 345 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Tosin McKinday for joining us. Next week, we'll review week one of the African Cup of Nations. We'll also take a look at the European leagues as they move through the second half of the season. So, for episode 345 of Low Limit Football, I'm Joe Ucello. I'm Roberto Rojas. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night. <laughs>